Episode 398 of Awards Daily's Water Cooler Podcast. I'm your host, Clarence Moy, and I am joined by the other two M's. So, M's, let's go around the cooler and tell the listeners who you are and where they can find you on the internet. Megan, we'll start with you. Hi, I'm Megan McLaughlin, and you can find me on Twitter at HeyDudeMeg. Joey? Hi, I'm Joey Moser. You can find me on Twitter at JoeyMoser83. And again, I'm Clarence Moy. You can find me on Twitter at Clarence Moy. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? And great. I am coming down off a day of intense irritation where I sat in front of a laptop for six hours, completely ignoring my day job, unfortunately, um, trying to get tickets to a Taylor Swift concert. (laughs) Were you successful? I was not because I gave (gasps) up. Oh, no. It's okay. I gave up. Um, because I was like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I am not going to sit here and stress over this to go sit in the back row of a football stadium to listen to music that I can listen to at home and not have to deal (laughs) with people and not have to pay to fly to Nashville, Tennessee or stay in a hotel. Mm. It's not like I'm going to be in the front row. And, uh, and what really pissed me off was the whole thing with Ticketmaster was just, first of all, there should be more options. I don't know why people aren't screaming Monopoly with Ticketmaster. I know AOC was today, but um, mm-hmm. Ticketmaster is the entity of the devil. Yeah. Um, not only do they charge an exorbitant amount for their lack of services, they cannot do anything right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so, uh, shit, I forgot where I was going with this. Anyway, I didn't get the tickets. I just decided it wasn't worth it. I gave up. I backed away from it. Mm-hmm. Because I was getting so just just upset, and my daughter was coming in here. Have you gotten them yet? Have you gotten them yet? And I'm like, no, because she really wanted to go. And she's yeah. even she, Megan. You would love this. She even decided she was trying to figure out what album she wanted to represent with her <laughs> outfit. Oh my god, that's adorable! I, love that. I should send her that picture of your uh, office. <laughs> yeah. Tell her if she needs if she needs um, a floatable a floaty. I have one. <laughs> I, I will do that. She Took was forever to blow up though. <laughs> she was going back and forth between um, the debut look, which is just a a light sundress, or the lover look, which is pink and purples, or reputation all black and and gelled up hair. So I don't know. That's so cute. She was really into it, and I mean. What really pissed me off is when like an hour into it, the whole thing just like sort of collapsed and it said, we're pausing the queue because basically the codes didn't work is what I read on Twitter. Um, And uh, I went on StubHub and sure enough, there's hundreds of scalped tickets available. Uh, And I'm just like, yes, already. Like people were supposedly not able to get in. For the Nashville concert that I was applying to, there were already tickets out there that were in that were decent seats, kind of in the back for like three, four hundred bucks a pop. And I'm like, I'm not paying that. And then all of a sudden, I go yeah. back and check later in the in the afternoon, and I'm like, it's eight, nine hundred in the nosebleeds, oh, eight or nine hundred wow. on the floor, ten thousand dollars a ticket. <gasps> oh like, my god! I'm I'm not I'm not with this. Time out. I'm backing away. I left. So, no, I did not get tickets, and no, I probably will not get tickets, and I'm okay with that. 
But I was oh, very irate. <laughs> yeah. And then um, we've ordered, sorry, I don't know why I'm going into all of this, but I just, uh, you guys are my, you guys are my, my, my bubble, my support system. So <laughs> this is our circle here and, and our listeners are listening to probably uh, too much of my personal life, but we ordered Uber Eats tonight because I went to the grocery store and it's been raining. We didn't have time to cook. And um, for the last two times we have had the same delivery person hmm. that's weird that's never happened yeah. i don't know why this has happened i've never had this person again and by god if i ever see her again i will immediately cancel the order why? last week this past weekend i ordered my daughter a simple sub from jersey mike's which was three miles up the road i could have gone and gotten it myself but i was just too fucking lazy <laughs> she got this and i paid for priority two bucks i'm like bring it straight to yeah. my house because i know this deal where they go and they pick up all this other stuff and then they get to your house when they feel like it mm-hmm. um i always pay for priority too. yes pay for priority right i never do two bucks that's I'm two cheap. bucks she this person drove down the street it's five miles from my house right she stopped to get gas <gasps> then she stopped to go to mcdonald's what and then she stopped at somebody's house and then she went to my house and I was like, how do you know? Because I'm following her on the app. Yeah. Like, you can watch it. As oh, soon as wow. they pick it up. Yeah. And I'm like, I know exactly where you are because it's three minutes away from my house. I can tell oh that, that is a sheet. God. So I was, I was pissed. I reduced, I gave her a bad rating. I reduced the tip. I didn't not tip. I just reduced it to much lower than I normally would. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. She's my driver again tonight. But I, for some reason, did not pay or didn't have the option to pay for priority. This bitch drove all around. I placed an order at 6.30. I did not get this order. Again, 10 miles down the road this time. I did not get this order until 8 o'clock, an hour and a half later. And it was like sandwiches and fries. Those fries were ice cold. I was so livid. I got on a chat with Uber Eats. I put this woman on blast i gave her a one penny tip (laughs) oh my wow i'm like you picked the wrong asshole on the wrong fucking day (laughs) (laughs) anyway but now i'm feeling much better because i'm getting all that out so how are you guys (laughs) good um nothing like that (laughs) (laughs) Um, jason Uh, i watched I, or go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, no, no. No, go ahead. I watched The Val. Uh, I caught up on that. And I'm, like, worried that I'm now starting to think that Keith – what Keith did was uh, – some of the things – I mean, he did many things that were illegal. <laughs> but I'm wondering if, like, if some of the things that he was put away for were because the jury just hated him. Because, <laughs> I don't know, I'm very torn watching this – new season because they not that they paint him as like a, they paint him as a terrible person he is an, an awful human being but like i'm kind of i keep forgetting like what did why is he in jail for 70 years again like and i think it's has a lot there's a lot going on but like but i guess the thing that made me um think about it today was they they talk they finally talk about the girl he kept in a room for two years locked in a room for two years and like this is the one like that nobody ever talks about uh, including like Sarah Edmondson and Mark Vicente. And I'm like, you guys acted like what he did to you was bad. This girl was locked in a room for two years. I don't know. It's kind of pointing to the hypocrisy of of the heroes of it too. I don't know. It, it's interesting. 
but I've been, I've been enjoying it. But the series finale is next week. Isn't that fast? Oh, already yeah, it is fast. Yeah. Wow. But I, yeah. But I also watched a documentary called Aftershock on Hulu that I. Oh, um, that's really good. Yeah, I talked to the two co-directors, and um, as this podcast drops, I think my interview is publishing today, and um, it's a really, really powerful documentary, and um, I mean, not not fun to watch, you know, yeah. but um, but really good. Um, so uh, check out the interview for that, and also watch it because um, you'll you'll learn definitely walk away learning a lot. I need to watch more. <clears throat> more documentaries or more things where I can learn something. <laughs> I love documentaries. I've learned like, and it's not even just true crime. I just like, I just like documentaries. Like you, you should watch the Navalny documentary. Have you heard That's of good. this one? Mm-hmm. Did you watch it, Joey? Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was really good, but also very sad. I thought it was really good, but uh, I liked seeing um, his family. Um. And I, I don't know. It's I, I, I want to watch it again because I watched it right when it dropped on HBO Max. But um, I, I remember when I saw the trailer for that, I was like really excited to watch it, even though it's like it's I think it's being you know more advertised as like this is a political documentary. It's really, you know, relevant to our times. It is. It's a really it's a sad movie. So it's yeah, it is. <clears throat> but it's good. I feel like that's I think that's going to get nominated. I think um, I'm, I should give you a list of um, I have a list of like some really good doc shorts. Oh, yeah. I've been covering. I did. a. I posted a, an interview with there's this documentary called Stranger at the Gate, which is about a, a man who is a, an army vet who in like 2009, I think it was, he planned to blow up a, uh, a Muslim, a, a mosque in indiana and he actually um he ended up not doing it he actually became uh very close friends with the family that runs it wow uh, all about how he is like in this super dark place and he's incredibly prejudiced and he, there's like this really it's it's chilling it's he's like he talks about going into the mosque like he goes into the mosque and he's like you're gonna die you're gonna die you in his head he's saying that he was like i know i'm gonna Ooh. kill these people and he was like, and he's like this big hulking, like he's, he's kind of scary. Um, but I talked to the director and the director has been doing this really good um, series. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head where, uh, but this is like the most ambitious one. Um, it's a director named uh, Joshua Seftel. Um, he's done a lot of work on similar topics, but I've been, that, that one's really stuck with me. It's, it's really good. It's actually a, a lot of the like doc contenders for, Oscars and that qualify for the Oscars since I'm like, I feel like I'm one of the only people on Twitter who's like knee deep on this stuff um, is, is very readily available on like YouTube and people can watch them. So I'll send you some, some good stuff. <clears throat> I got my husband yeah. tickets to Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks today. <gasps> uh, I love Stevie Nicks, but I cannot watch Billy Joel. <laughs> My it's like two of my like my favorite person and my least favorite <laughs> person in the world together. I had a feeling that's what you were gonna say because Jason has always he's always Billy Joel. And I think Billy Joel is fine. I don't really necessarily have an opinion. Billy like, Joel is my nemesis. Like, I, I do think honest. that I do think if I hear um one more person, including my husband who loves to sing piano man at karaoke, um sing that song, I will 
punch a baby. Oh my god, <laughs> I absolutely hate that song. It's hate like it's like it's like um what's the name? What's that? Uh it's like Sweet Caroline. It's like, you know, songs Sweet that- Caroline like at least was like I feel like had this resurgence where it was like, oh, it's a fine song and then it's it's obnoxious now. I feel like Piano Man has been obnoxious for like 50 oh, it's years. For, yeah, it's been super obnoxious. So I felt he has never, he has told me, ever since I met him, he has always wanted to see Billy Joel live. He's never seen him. It has like something to do, I think, with the connection with like his grandmother or something like that. Something that makes me feel bad for saying that I think it's stupid. And then he tells me why. And I'm like, oh, I'm an asshole. Um, <laughs> so I felt really, um, I felt kind of, I thought it was actually kind of cute where he was just like, I got, I finally got tickets. I'm going to see him in like six months. And he's, he got like, he like splurged and got really good seats and whatever. I was just like, all right. Yeah. So wait, are you going? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh my God. You're going to get to see Stevie though. I've never seen Stevie. Actually, can we, can we do that? That um, education of Joey Moser of Stevie Nicks and um, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac. But she's not going to do a Fleetwood Mac songs. She's well, no, but I mean like. Girl. She might I mean, do I, some. She'll do, do Landslide. Landslide. Yeah. She'll do. Um, Sisters of the Moon. She might we do, do like, Oh, she'll definitely do Gold Dust Woman. Yeah. We should she'll do, do Stand like, Back. She'll gypsy. do Edge of 17. Yeah. She'll do Gypsy. I think you should, could, we should do like a, a, a three episode limited series <laughs> where you tell me what to watch in what order. Because I'm going, I mean, I know Stevie Nicks music, some of it, but I, if if you put a gun to my head and was like, name five Stevie Nicks songs, I'm like, ah, pull the trigger. I don't know. You know, what we what? should do is is reach out to our uh, musically inclined oh, yeah. uh, podcast Rick. friend, Rick, and uh, have him join us uh, yeah! for a, uh, a, a, a hey, Fleetwood Mac or Stevie Nicks uh, deep dive. I'm yes. Down. I think this concert is in like August, so I have about... So we have time. So, um, yes, but we know how we are with follow through. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so next up, the Pedro Amador yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the Uggy podcast. Yes, we never finished that. You know what? I, I think it was, I think Uggy was just canceled before its time. Yeah, I think I also like that somewhere somebody's probably like gonna discover it someday and then be like, I need them to finish it. And then they'll start this huge campaign on TikTok. I need to know the, what the last movie is like. And then we'll record it. And we'll be like, yes. We'll be 80 years old. <laughs> no, the, the problem with doing Pedro was, um, we, you know, we we, <laughs> we let the audience uh, pick that one for us. And, yes. um, oh, yeah. you know, film Twitter people promoted Pedro. But, n- I mean, the three of us are on film Twitter, but we're not film Twitter people per se. I know Joey, you love Pedro. Um, and yeah. uh, I certainly love some of his films. I don't know that I could watch all of them. <laughs> I think that was a, a, uh, a large undertaking, but it was fun while we did yeah. it. Cause we, you know, we got uh, special guests to join us. So we should, we should maybe think about doing something like that again. But anyway, I digress. Um, so this week we are going to discuss the uh, recently opened and something that we've all seen, the Banshees of Inner Sharon, and uh, talk about what we liked about it. I don't know that I've talked to you, Megan, about this, so I'll be interested to see what you thought um, outside of the email that you sent earlier today. But uh, And we're going to use that as a springboard to kind of talk about the Oscar race. And 
um, more explicitly with our um, Oscar squad predictions. I mean, you know, which are, we only publish those maybe once a month right now until the critics window, but then, you know, at least in my mind, they're constantly changing. They're constantly in flux as I've seen things. Um, I'm sure you guys are in the same boat, but you know, I've seen black Panther at this point, we've seen feedback on Babylon. None of us have seen Babylon yet, but we put some, some noise has started to come from that initial screening in LA as we are recording last night. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And then of course we'll wrap with the, uh, flash forward to the media. We're most anticipating the upcoming week. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. So the Banshees of Inner Sharon is the, uh, new movie from Martin McDonough. Who was, that, is not, that is not how I thought that was pronounced. I thought it was Inner Sheeran. That's did not not what I said. No, did, no, did I, you, thought, I thought it was pronounced um, Inisharin when I started watching the movie. And oh, uh, it's, it's Inisharin. So Inner Sheeran, Inner Sheeran, it's something. It's the it's the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> I think it's Inisharin because I remember thinking, okay, I'll be able to remember it because I know a lot of girls named Aaron. <laughs> At any rate, uh, it's the <laughs> it's the latest film from Martin McDonough, who we last saw with three billboards um, yeah. out of, outside of Ebbing, Missouri, or Missouri. Um, and uh, it stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and um, oh, I'm blanking. Oh, uh, Carrie, Condon. Uh, Carrie, Carrie Condon and Barry Keegan um, about a group of people who live on an island off the coast of Ireland called Inner Sheeran, and a uh, a weird break that happens between uh, Gleason and Farrell uh, who were formerly best friends and then all of a sudden stopped being best friends and we kind of figure out why so there's not a lot of plot here per se but it's it's definitely a all-in allegory I would say I think that's the sort of the key to understanding this film is what what it's trying to represent through the relationship with these two men um, Megan, I'd like to start with you to see kind of what your thoughts were on uh, Banshees of Inner Sharon. Sure. So I, um, you know, I had wanted to see this, but this wasn't one that was like at the top of my list, mostly because I did not enjoy Martin McDonough's last film, uh, Three Billboards, out of outside of Epping, Missouri. Um, so I was a little reluctant to to see this, but uh, I really got sucked into this world. Um, you know, I, I even I didn't know much going into it. I didn't know much about it. I thought maybe it was in present day, and then learning that it, you know, like, you don't know really anything about it going in, like with from the trailers. I feel like, but I. I kind of went through like a phase with this film where at first I'm, I'm thinking, okay, oh, this is all that the plot is that he just doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. And then it starts like building and revealing more. And uh, I think Carrie Condon is so good. I think she's going to win. She's going to be nominated for best supporting actress and she's my pick for to win. I think um, not that there, I've seen anybody that, like of course i love the women talking ladies but i feel like this has supporting actress written all over it uh i i really enjoyed it it was it gets better it's one of those films that gets better i think the more it goes along which is surprising considering that its plot is pretty basic but uh, i'm curious to find out uh what you make of the ending and what you make of some of the what are some of the messages of the film because I have my own thoughts, but um, I, I think it's a lot deeper than 
than just two friends that are breaking up basically. And I also think it's interesting that we never see what they are like as friends, but we still get the sense of how they were friends, which I thought was really interesting. There's an ease to their uh, camaraderie and their, um, as you go through the film, there's like an, there's an ease between them. And even though they are at, you know, or at least on Brendan Gleeson's part, they are at odds with each other they're still very comfortable around each other. So you can definitely, I agree. You can definitely see, you get that backstory. You get that sense of closeness, camaraderie, uh, chemistry between them without having that detail because they are so comfortable around each other as actors. Um, Before I opine on what you're asking, Joey, what did you think of the film? I'm a little bit in love with this movie. Um, I love the um, the dark humor of it. I I love I, I I go through these spells with Martin McDonough where I um, really like his stuff and then I really hate his stuff. Like I love In Bruges. I love that movie so much. Um, and then I hated <laughs> Three Billboards. And I, is there another movie in between there? I can't remember. But um, no, I don't think so. I think. Uh, Three but, um, was the last one. Or in Bruges. I, uh, I don't know. I was so, and I think because, you know, they have worked together so much that is, you know, if, if they, if they haven't worked, I mean, maybe they only worked together once, but, um, if they only, you know, if, if it wasn't these two people, I'm not sure if I would like it as much, as much as I think the script is really fun. Um, and sad. There's, it's, it's, there's a, a sadness to it and there's a, um, a darkness to it, but it's also really funny. And I feel like it mixes together so well that it depends on it. It almost feels like depending on who the camera is looking at, like the tone playfully changes almost. Um, I don't know. I, I was really, I thought it was incredibly well paced. It went, it flew by for me. I thought it was, I was, I, I realized when I had to pause it for a second that you know, it was, I was like, oh, I'm like three fourths of the way through it. Um, and I, I think that as a good example of, it is a very on paper, a very simple concept, but it's executed so well that even if you don't, you know, dive into the thematics and the, you know, the thematics and the, um, the allegory of it, it's, it's, um, and the history of it, um, you can still sort of just love it on face value. So I love it. I'm, I'm a big, big fan. I love the screenplay. Um, I love the performances, mm-hmm. but the screenplay is just so, it's so funny. It's so, he has such a, and maybe this is why, um, he works so well with things like in Bruges and this, and I, I haven't seen his plays, but you know, the beauty queen of Leanne and, um, there was one other one that's pretty famous and I can't remember it right now, but, uh, um, I, I think he's just, you know, he is Irish and British and he has such a, a deep <laughs> understanding of local customs and local, uh, attitudes and how people interact. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that when he tries to translate that into how he assumes people in the U S operate or how they talk or how they act, it's very different. It's very, very, you know, it's, it's some people can sort of operate in that culture and really pick it up. And I just don't think that he necessarily did with three billboards. I, I, I liked it more than I think either of you, but I I don't think it's a great 
film or screenplay by any stretch of the imagination, imagination, Mm. even though it won a lot of Oscars. Um, I think he's much more at home in this material. And I just, I just loved the, the lived in feel of the screenplay, like just the very casual, simple dialogue that really means so much, I think ultimately. Yeah, I would agree that. Yeah. With everything you just said. You know, somebody that I've I've loved every time that I've seen them on screen um, is, is it Barry Keegan? Is that just how you pronounce yeah, it? I think okay. so. I think he is such, <clears throat> excuse me, I think he's a very unpredictable actor and he's an actor who does really well in playing characters where you can tell that he sort of has a secret or he's not revealing everything to you and he's withholding a lot. And, um, and that's fine. Um, and I feel like with this character, he broke my heart a little bit in in this movie and, um, something about his eyes and the way he looks at, um, Carrie, Carrie Condon. Yeah. I know nothing today. Um, uh, I don't know. Those scenes between them are so, um, awkward and funny and sweet. Um, that time that he is in anything, um, I will watch it. Like I realized when I was watching it that I don't own like, uh, uh, killing of a sacred deer. And I did, bought it while I was watching this movie and he's in that, um, with Colin Farrell. Um, so I don't know, just a little sidebar, Barry Keegan shout out. Well, his performance, I go back and forth as to who I like, what performance I think is the best in this. I think, it's almost a three-way tie for the, my favorite performance of the film between Colin Farrell, Carrie Condon, and Barry Keegan. Um, Colin Farrell is just, <clears throat> you know, he he is, you know, I, I talked about um, Glass Onion, and I had such a hard time. Um, I guess this might be a little bit of a spoiler, so I guess I shouldn't talk about that. But there was a character in there that I've talked to both of you about, I think, where I had a hard time believing that that person was dumb. Um, here, yeah. I, Colin Farrell is he just seems so simple and sweet in this film. And I just love the way that he, 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 he just becomes just a genuinely nice guy who is, is pushed to the edge by this, this, this rift between him and uh, Brendan Gleeson's character. And I just, I think it's such a simple and, and, but just deeply felt performance. But Carrie Condon is the, is sort of the truth teller, the one that cuts through all the bullshit. You know, and 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 mm-hmm. she's got so many firecracker moments in here. But but uh, Barry Keegan absolutely broke my heart with this performance. At first, I was like, he's he's totally unlike anything else in the film because he's very twitchy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you start to understand why he's so twitchy. Uh, but it, it it really works, and I um, I I think that he, of all of them, I think that he deserves along with Carrie Condon to win um, best supporting the, those two performances deserve to win best supporting um, actor and actress. Brendan Gleeson, I think is good, but I feel like this is a performance that Brendan Gleeson could do in his sleep. Um, and I found him personally, I found him a little distracting because he looks ever, ever since he played Donald Trump in that um, miniseries <laughs> on Showtime, I, I look at him and I think, Oh my God, he looks just like Donald Trump. Oh, I didn't, I didn't completely forgot. I didn't even remember that. Did you see it? No. Oh yeah. See, uh, oh, boy, he, so. he's so good as Donald Trump. He did a great job. It's, it's, I think if, 
people had not been so sick of Trump by that point, I think that he would have gotten more awards attention, but he was excellent in that limited series. But, um, yeah, I, I love those performances. I think they're all three of them. Well, I mean, I think probably Brendan Gleeson may get in there before Barry Keegan, but I'm hoping all four of them get in. I would love to see both actors in there because I think it's, it's, it's just that special of a movie. Yeah, it is really special. It almost feels like a throwback to like a nineties, like, uh, independent film that, uh, wouldn't get as much attention, but now does, I, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? I yes. feel, um, there was something nostalgic for the nineties for me for some reason. I have no idea why. Um, I also think the setting is very much a character too. the, the way they, the way they travel and the way they, the houses and the pub. I, I love the whole setting. I think it's very, it's, it's just, I don't know. There's, it's just really special. Yes. It, and as I've said, but as I said before, it's it's made with the love and the understanding that someone has about a very specific place and a very specific time. Yeah. And I felt like I don't know anything about this island off the coast of Ireland. I don't even know if this is a real place. Um, no, it's not. It's a fictional um, Ireland. But uh, like Mrs. O'Reardon, that woman that seems like a <laughs> <Yeah>. witch. <laughs> I love yeah. her. Like she pops up every now and again. And it, it's 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 just it's, it's just so. Strange and yet strange. Or was it Mrs. Really McCormick? Nice was it because Mrs. Mrs. Reardon was the oh she owns like, the store. Yeah, Mrs. McCormick. Oh, you mean the, yeah. the 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 lady who looks like um the witch? It's like death, yeah. like Palpatine from Star Wars. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I love that. Yeah, you're right. I I got the two characters mis- uh, confused. That's okay. Um. But getting to your question, Megan, about what I think it all means, I, I think it isn't. I think you have to look at it, given some of the things that happen in the film that I think are, are we'll talk about sort of awards potential in a second. But given some of the things that happen in the film, I think you have to look at it as an allegory for war, um, for what takes, what pushes two countries or two uh, two peoples to go to such extremes to. Um, because there's that there's that civil war that happens off the coast mm-hmm. and i think that they're kind of almost replicating what it took to get to that point in these actions that take place on this island that's that's how i look at it oh yeah. i looked at it more as about art um and that the idea of you know wanting to create something that would last for the ages and working so hard on it that you you miss out on the relationships that you yeah. I, I saw it as more mm-hmm. as, a, as a but I love that you're that's a, like that's what I think is really great about this film is there are so many things going on and so many interpretations but I love this idea that you know I don't know if this is spoiling things but that Brendan Gleeson you know wants to create he wants to dedicate himself to his art and can't be bothered with frivolous conversation mm-hmm. about about nothing with with Padrick. Is that how you say his name? Part part Padrick. Padrick. Yeah. Um, and saying that you know I'm I, they're going to remember my music fifty years from now, but they won't remember you. And like, what a cruel thing to say to somebody. But I also think that actually the thing that people remember is this relationship <laughs> because if how could you like things like this become 
all know. like, oh, do you remember that all the things those two went through? Like, I thought that that was really interesting that he wanted to be remembered for his music, but here in the end, he might be remember. You know, um, I mean, that's not spoiling it, but he might be remembered for you know this this terribly weird, bizarre relationship, like a legend almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love that interpretation. I think it it can be a a multitude of things. It's all about what do you do with the time you have left and, and, you know, top marrying that with the desire to create art and trying to make, take advantage of what, you know, cause, cause, uh, Brendan Gleeson's column is older than Colin Farrell. He, he has uh, about 10, 15 years, um, has less time on this planet as, uh, as Colin Farrell does. And so he, um, he wants to dedicate it more to the pursuit of things like art and, and deeper meaning and wants to leave a, a lasting impact. And I do love the, that idea Megan, that you brought up of the, probably the lasting impact that they will have is a legendary feud. Yeah. Well, also if it makes you think of like, is Brendan Gleeson, he's like sort of screwing himself over. If he wants to devote his life to make, you know, a lasting impression of, you know, artistic merit. He's the one who's insisting on, uh, I was about to say undercut, but I think it's a little too on the nose, but um, uh, undercutting his, undercutting his desire to have a legacy in an artistic way. And he, he's the one who's doing it. He's the one who, um, you know, just won't talk to him and won't stop this like silly feud. And <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's where I think it goes into a different level in terms of the allegory of war, where it, it's, the stupid things that people do that keep them from their, their dreams and their passion in, 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 to, to participate in adversity. Yeah. I read something and sort of going back to the history element, like I read, I was looking up stuff about it all last night after I watched it and someone, I think it was on Reddit sort of broke down about um, like the Irish civil war about like Irish nationalists versus, um, you know, you know, brother against brother, um, stuff like that. That I thought was interesting because I, I don't know that much about this particular moment in history. And someone, I think I remember someone pointing out that you know, it's it's, it's very important to remember that is a allegory. It, it can be interpreted as an allegory for uh, war and stuff like that. But it's interesting that uh, Inisherin is fictional. Um, so sort of having those two ideas is an interesting sort of addition i guess so we're not alone obviously in our appreciation slash adoration of this film um it uh on rotten tomatoes right now it holds a 98 with 248 reviews which i think is if not it's definitely one of if not the um highest rated film of the year Um, the audience score is a little bit lower um at a 77 which i would kind of you know expect considering it's not a it's not an easily um i think people are going to be off put by some of the things that happen let's just put it that way i don't want to give away any spoilers but i think there are some there are some people who are going to see some of the actions in this film and sort of check out immediately that seems to be a common thread with some films this Mm -hmm. year um but where do we think you know obviously i think this is going to be a critic's darling but do you think this film let me back up where do you think this film goes in terms of the academy awards 
I think it gets nominated for Best Picture. I think they both get nominated for Best Actor, maybe. I think Gleason she's supporting. Oh wait, the, who is wait? Who's going supporting? Gleason, Brendan Gleason. Oh, is, then I think they both. Yeah, I think they both get nominated. Which is kind of stupid since they're. So. Um, and I think Carrie Condon gets nominated. I think it gets nominated. It's an original screenplay, is that right? Yeah. 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 I think. Um, I think it gets nominated for screenplay, cinematography. Um, I think it. I think it wins screenplay. Yeah, I think so too. Actually. Well, so you have to factor in that, and it's it's a very well written screenplay, but also, um, I mean, Martin McDonough has an Oscar, um, but I feel like um, it's it's uh, he hasn't won a an Oscar for uh, like a, a screenplay uh, that he has written. Um, he won it for a, a short film. So, um, oh wow, yeah. Wait, so he Martin McDonough, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like early two thousands. Um, so he was nominated for screenplay for In Bruges and Three Billboards, but he hasn't won. Um, he hasn't won an Oscar for like you know a, a feature film. So I feel like there has to be an element of you know them being eager to award him something because he came. I feel like he came very close to winning uh, yeah. original screenplay, but he was beaten by. Um, the uh, Jordan Peele. Uh, he won the Golden Jordan Globe Hill. and he won BAFTA um, screenplay for uh, Three Billboards. Yes, then he definitely wins. If he's never won a uh, a screenplay Oscar, I think he definitely wins this hands down. Mm-hmm. So, what about Tony Kushner, though, are we? I. That's, I mean, I think that this is, this is going to be really interesting because I think that there are essentially at this point, and this is a great segue, thank you, Megan, into the conversation I ultimately <laughs> wanted to have, which is what can win Best Picture or what can win the most. Um, and I think it's sort of a three-way race right now between Banshees of Intershare and Everything Everywhere All at Once and Fablemans um, with the prior two films, everything everywhere all at once and the Banshees of Inner and kind of being on the artier side, kind of being on the bit more, um, you have to work to appreciate it side where the Fablemans is definitely the more classic. I've not, I've not seen it yet. I'm seeing it next Monday. So you guys may just tell me that I'm completely wrong, but I feel like the Fablemans is the more classic Oscar story. You know, it's, 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 it's just, traditional, more traditional. traditional yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, but that's where I see it some balancing somewhere between those three films. I also don't want to discount women talking. And I know I'm a huge fan of women talking, but I do think um, since that hasn't come out everywhere yet, um, and it would be interesting because I, I would lump it in with those three, the Banshees, women talking and everything everywhere all at once um, as like the artsy, but I think it would be in the conversation too. But you're right, Fablemans is the one that would be most traditional. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Women Talking is going to be an interesting case because I'm starting, I, I'd like to see what happens when it, it does come out um, and brought and more critics start looking at it. Certainly the critics that have seen it now have given it 
polite reviews to rave reviews. It's not, if you look at the score right now in Rotten Tomatoes, and again, I understand it's Rotten Tomatoes, it's not Metacritic, but if you look at the score right now in Rotten Tomatoes, it's lower than I thought it would be at this point in the game, where mostly it's been seen by festival critics. Um, and coming out of Telluride, it just seemed like it was on the tips of everybody's lips, right? And everybody just raved about it. But it's got an 88 right now. And I don't know that that goes up. I'm a little bit surprised that critics aren't going harder for um, a film that I essentially would think was critics' gold. I also think that, well, I wanted, I would like to see how many men reviewed it. <laughs> right. Because I well. think that that's going to be different and like... Um, I think I saw, was it Zoe, was it Zoe Rose Bryant who was talking about this the other day? Uh, that like so oh, many, yeah. so many um, of the films this year, like she said, and are being, uh, and Black Panther and, and women talking are being like uh, first, like by the wrong, kind of the wrong critics looking at it. Um, I can't remember if Black Panther was the third one, but um and I, I agree with that. I think that um, if if you have the female critics, women critics, I think that uh, it could be a different story. And yeah, I, I I don't know. I think I kind of put banshees and women talking as similar in that I think that well, it's very they're both very like play oriented. They both are like essentially plays, mm -hmm. but they do have cinematic approaches to them. Um, because I, at points with Banshees, I felt like, oh, I'm like, it's like a play. You're watching a play. Um, but only it's, it, you could see it as a play, I guess is what I'm saying. Whereas uh, The Whale is essentially a play, as you, yeah. as you we talked about before. But um, I think that they both have really great cinematic approaches that are completely different. And I, um, I, I kind of almost, I don't want to say lump them together, but they they're, they were, are similar to me. Um and, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm interested to see what, what people say about women talking. And I wish that more women were given the chance to review it. Something that worries me about women talking after it's released is, and I'm a huge fan of, I'm a big, you know, I, I really like that movie a lot. Um, I, I want to see it again. Um, United Artists, please let me watch it again. Um, <laughs> I am worried that some people are going to write that movie off as if they don't want to watch it. And I feel like I shudder to think of traditional uh, self-appointed like bros online reacting to that movie once it, it goes a little bit wider and, and stuff. I don't know. I'm nervous. It, it, it just... I think the material is strong enough to stand on its own. And I think Sarah Polly is a, a really strong filmmaker and I'm, I'm that movie feels like uh special to me. And I'm worried that I'm, I, I'm afraid that movie is going to get reduced. So I'm not as high on the hopes that uh, women talking will play as broadly. Um, I do. I still think it's going to get like a bunch of uh, nominations. And I think probably women talking might be the front runner for, adapted screenplay since we're talking about screenplays um yeah, oh yeah i think so too i guess i'm just saying like I, I i'm not sure how it's going to play but i don't think we should write it off yet because it hasn't mm -hmm. come out so we don't know no like, no i don't think it's, it's in my top five 
I don't think it can win Best Picture, but I think it's in my top five. Yeah, I don't see it winning Best Picture, but I certainly don't think it's not in the not like out of the conversation. Like, I guess. No. Yeah, I I, I have it getting in. I think I'm trying to see if I have Sarah Pauly getting in. I I still have Sarah Pauly getting in. I do have my doubts on that, but um, because actually I, after last year, I feel like anything's possible to be honest, because we were not even talking about Coda and who knows that maybe something like, you know, she said might have, Oh, I just discovered this movie. Like, you know, or like something weird that like, Oh, I've just discovered like a group of, of guilds starts watching something and then becomes obsessed with it. Like you never know really. And I, I think that's why it's, um, it's it kind of, I, I know everybody hated Coda winning. I thought it was exciting that it won because I, I know maybe people didn't, they said it didn't do anything special. I thought it did a lot of things special. And, um, and I think that makes, means that there's a lot of room for other films that the Fablemans, that it's not locked in stone. The Fablemans is going to win. Oh, I think the Coda win, um, and this is getting to a question I wanted to ask you, Megan, because it's something you mentioned a couple of weeks ago. But I think the Coda win speaks to the old adage that I think Sasha and others have used, which is best picture is usually the film that you sit anybody down in front of and they mm-hmm. they get it. You know, yeah. it, it can't be anything divisive. It has to be something that's just straight down the line, particularly in the era of the preferential ballot where it's just something that's completely straight down the line. And when I look at this year's crop of films, I think there are a lot of challenging films that are divisive to degrees, right? I mean, there's there's something like Babylon, which apparently is incredibly divisive, hate it or love it, kind of like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Um, and then there are things that are like, it. mostly everybody loves it with a couple of detractors, like maybe everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Um, so with the exception of Nomadland, which was a weird year that nothing was really going to win. I think they, everybody just voted for Nomadland because nobody wanted to give it to Chicago seven. Right. Um, so, uh, but I think code has taken us back to that tradition of it's a movie I felt good about. And when I watched that cast get up and, you know, when they win the SAG award, I felt good and I, I feel good watching the film and I want to feel good right now because it's a harsh year. So what's that film this year that makes everybody feel good? And I, and and Megan, you said a couple of weeks ago, maybe months ago, you you hadn't seen, you didn't think that we'd seen the Best Picture winner. I was wondering. I still don't think we've seen it yet. Well, what is it? What's left? Avatar? I don't know. <laughs> I just think that like, um, I don't know. I still don't. I I keep waiting for something to because there's nothing, nothing this everything this year is kind of messy. Each each film has. Um, a messiness to them. I think probably every without having seen it, probably everything everywhere all at once. I think um, I think everything everywhere all at once because I rewatched it again. I think that movie is when you separate it from the film Twitter adoration for it because there is that that was. I feel like that movie's been has been riding on that since like what April May whenever it came out. Um, I think that movie is actually, um, stir, can stir a lot of passion in people. I think that movie, because I think, because so much is happening, it's, it's, it is an emotional story, but it is also 
extremely silly and at times <laughs> borderline stupid. And it plays with tone and visuals and and it, it's and it does it all at such a breakneck speed. Um, I think that is the type of movie that stirs a passion in people that I think is actually really exciting. I actually think that Banshees and uh, Fablemans has a very sort of emotional um, component to it. Maybe Banshees a little bit less because it is such a, a is a really smart screenplay, but um and it, some of the things that happen in it are very shocking but i think um all three of those are, would have a very strong passionate uh response to them i would love to see i think everything everywhere is my favorite movie of the year still um i've watched it like eight times uh and i still haven't seen it at all <laughs> i'm like terrified that you're gonna hate it <laughs> i am too i think that's probably one of the reasons why i haven't watched it because i'm just afraid that what if i don't like it and everyone loves it so much um, I also don't think we should discount <laughs> Avatar. And I know I'll probably be laughed at that, but about that. But, uh, who knows? Who knows? But I think point. James Cameron, I remember when Titanic came out or was coming out, everybody was like, this is going to be a disaster. It's the most expensive film of all time. Like it took forever to bring it here. It's going to sink. I remember that was the, the entertainment weekly prediction. I remember. And then <laughs> I think we all know how that ended. Um, and even the last Avatar, oh, it's it's gonna be Ferngully, but it's you know, it's <laughs> but you. it's live action, and like it became like what the top grossing film of all time for for a brief time. Um, I'm anxious to find out what what it's about, and I, I just think you never never count them out. No, you never count them out. I I think the. Comparison against Titanic is a little tricky because this is a sequel and it's about blue people. Um, whereas Titanic was a quote unquote important film about a moment in history. And, you know, even though it kind of devolved into gushy teen romance, who knows? Um, we, we haven't seen it yet. And certainly it does feel like everybody's just waiting for something to come along and blow them away. I thought maybe that would be Babylon, but um, I guess Babylon goes too far. I feel like even like, I know Fablemans had the screening, was it last week? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I felt like the, the, I was expecting like everybody to gush about it. And, but I, I felt like it wasn't as, it was more muted than I expected. And Babylon was exactly what I expected was that I figured it would be divisive. I didn't realize it was three hours long, but I do think you're right that we're all kind of waiting. I think people were hoping Wakanda forever would be that film. And now I'm thinking that, um, that even has a lot of mixed reviews and almost like it's, it's too serious. Um, you know, to be a Marvel movie, it's almost, it almost sounds like it has an identity crisis almost, um, you know, wanting to be something taken seriously, but also being something that is fun to go to the movies. A lot of people I saw were, were saying that it was kind of sad. It was really sad and just not not entertaining. It's a sad movie, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I agree that I, it would be, you never know. Maybe there'll be like a million dollar baby kind of like, oh, something that's coming out that kind of comes in at the last second. It could be. I mean, the problem with Avatar winning Best Picture, and I don't, I'm not discounting it. I, I have it in my my ten. But the problem with Avatar winning Best Picture is that it's not going to win the Screen Actors Guild Award, right? Because it's it's just right. I, I don't think the actors are there yet to give it to what is largely performance capture. 
That's okay though, because weird things happen all the time. Yeah, for I sure. Think. I mean, rules are made to be broken, and, and um, you know, the the SAG rule was broken um, a couple of years ago. So, with uh, um, Shape of Water, I think there's a uh, a contender that's out there that I think has a very that in a traditional year would have a very strong chance of winning. Um. But I, unfortunately, I think Netflix is sleeping on it because they're preferring another film over it, which is All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh. It's a brilliantly made war epic, um, which is incredibly well-directed. Not as well-directed, I think, as 1917, because I really love 1917. I think 1917 takes more artistic chances than uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. But All Quiet on the Western Front is brutal and sad and honest and it, it 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 instantly goes into my top 10 of war movies of all time um, wow i need to watch that it's it's excellent and i think that sadly netflix is not recognizing that this is probably their strongest contender of the year i think they're spending a lot of time on glass onion i think they're spending a lot of time on Enerito and bardo and i honestly think those films you know, Bardo wasn't going to get nominated for Best Picture. It's way too divisive. Um, Glass Onion may get nominated, but it's silly. It's never going to win, um, particularly if Knives Out didn't get nominated. But I think All Quiet, it 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 has, even though it's in a in the German language, it has all of the makings of a traditional Best Picture winner. And I just am very surprised and sort of sad that they're not recognizing that and pushing it more than they are. Mm. I'm actually still surprised. Um, I mean, Knives Out, Knives Out didn't get a SAG nomination for Ensemble, which was very surprising to me. Um, oh, it made a change this year. Um, it's interesting that Netflix has that movie instead of uh, the first film because they didn't have the first uh, Knives Out, and they love this one and the next one. But um, I don't know. It's I. I you know, sort of taking apart the the foreign, or I'm sorry, the international feature-ness of it. I mean, that is a movie that would normally just be nominated for like 12 Oscars. <laughs> yeah, and I think if once you both see it, because it's readily available right now on Netflix, once you both see it, you'll understand what I mean when I say it. it is in the German language, but it's very international in the way it's filmed. It's very accessible. It is not decision to leave or something like that. It, it is very approachable. It is made with a, I don't want to say an American sensibility, but a sensibility of films that you would see in the English language. I happened to watch it <laughs> because I was, I was not in a, I watched a lot of subtitled films at the time. I ended up watching it um, over, overdubbed in British English, which I know people are going to grab their pearls and <laughs> shock and horror, <laughs> but I did watch it with British English. Um, you know, just because I just didn't want to read subtitles. I wanted to look at the imagery. I didn't want to, you know, make my eyes go up and down. You know, I just, I wanted to take in the imagery of the film, but um, I think it's, you know, incredibly accessible. You know what I think is the best picture of best picture of the year. And I'm probably alone in this, but I think triangle of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of something that I think is, uh, Probably wouldn't, but it's something that I personally think sums up what it does stuff that's that's pushing the envelope and um, 
just thinking about it, but that's yeah. probably one of mine. I kind of, I kind of wonder if, uh, I wish that would have been a little bit more of a financial success. And mm-hmm. because I thought if, if that became like sort of a, a little, uh, indie that people really responded to, I thought that would have more of a shot, especially with how, um, you know, the way best picture is now since it's a straight 10, um, and, and who knows, maybe it'll, maybe it still has a shot of getting maybe it. Maybe it'll I, pull a coda. Oh God. And get like rediscovered. Maybe it's, I mean, maybe the big movie, I mean, who knows, maybe there'll be a huge response from like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's she said, maybe it's freaking, um, maybe it's, maybe it's the whale. Maybe it's, no, uh, it's not the whale. It's, it's not the whale. It could be. She said, when I saw, she said at, uh, at Middleburg, I think on Thursday, I thought here is a completely accessible story that has that air of importance because it's a trial that's happening right now in Los Angeles with Harvey Weinstein. Um, it is very well made. It's well acted. Um, it's well written. You know, I just, I felt like, you know, this could be, and the audience really seemed to just love it, just really eat it up. And, Nothing, nothing since then. It has been so deadly quiet. The critics were unexpectedly harsh on it. I thought I just I really expected them to to really applaud it. And and some of the reviews were frankly kind of really tough. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been surprised by that one. I'm very anxious to see what you both thought of it. I uh, I don't know that I'm on this bandwagon that Carrie Mulligan's going to win a supporting actress Oscar for it. I don't think. Here's how she can win. I don't even think she'll be nominated. I, I don't either. Supporting actress is way too tough. Yeah, it's just just because thinking about like, um, you had brought up somebody. Oh, like Janelle Monae and like all these. There's it's really. But Clarence, have you seen Everything Everywhere All at Once? I have. Yes. Okay. Did you like it? Um, I need to see it again. But I I was very very mixed on it. I I loved. Michelle Yeoh, but the, in some cases it was really too silly for me. Um, there's a lot of, of, uh, creative, um, risks that it takes and I applaud those creative risks. They just didn't particularly work for me. Um, but I need to see it again because it's one of those films where you're like, I'm wasn't ready for what this was going to be. Yeah. It's, I think if you sort of, um, I I mean, it's, the tone is very, very surprising. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Like that's, that's something Yeah, like just even thinking about supporting actress. I mean, there are two contenders from that movie. There are two yeah. like, multiple contenders from um, women talking, women talking. Thank you. Um, there's multiple. I mean, there's multiple from, she said you have Dolly DeLeon, you have, um, no money. Condon, you have Janelle Monet, you have, um, you know, I saw someone saying that Laura Dern is still in there, and I was like, "All right, cool. that is not happening." Sorry, I saw the film. It's not. I mean, you have uh, Nina Haas from Tar. I mean, Tar um, is a movie that I still think um, people are talking about that movie on Twitter. At least, I think. Yeah, it's um, a I film pres- Twitter movie. That is a film Twitter movie. I think uh, it's the Carol of this year, and it doesn't have. You know, I think it's just something that the critics are going to fall all over. And the Academy will largely want nothing to do with it. They will nominate Kate Blanchett because she is fantastic and undeniable in it. But I think that they're not going to warm up to this movie at all. I, I do have it in my top 10, but I don't have, and the screenplay, I don't, I don't have him in director. Um, what, what if it's but, Emancipation? 
I saw that Clayton Davis had um he had emancipation in like director, I think. He had it in director. He has it in, I think he has it in actor. I know he's got a supporting performance there. Um I don't know there's, about that one. There's a God, what if it is an emancipation? What, what if it's right? That would be what a great comeback story for oh, God. I mean, that would be, I mean, that's I mean, it comes out in like Three weeks. I keep, you know, checking my um, my Apple portal. Usually the movies don't come there until like the Tuesday before they premiere, at least on mine. Um, but sometimes they, sometimes a movie will magically pop up in there. Like I got spirited like two weeks ago. Have I watched it? No. I will say this is a year though that everything I've seen, I've really like everything that's kind of in the conversation. I really like, like for the most part, there's nothing that I, that I, I think it's a great year for movies. I really, I, I love it. I think it's, it's really great. I don't know. Except for one film, but yes, <laughs> I was going to call you on that one, but yes. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, go ahead, Joey. No, I don't just want to watch everything overall. <laughs> I'm, I still have to see it. Yeah. I'm really, I want to see, um, the performance that I'm just going to throw it out into the ether just because I want to keep it alive. I'm supposed to interview her at the end of this week is um i'm a big fan of stephanie shu she's on mrs Maisel. she plays michelle yo's daughter in everything everywhere all at once and i'm just throwing out her name because i just want someone to hear it and i want someone to keep talking about her because i think the amount of like pain that she carries through that movie is so uh beautifully done and i want i'm desperate for her to get an oscar nomination yeah and it, it, if as much as I love Jamie Lee Curtis as just as a as a person on this earth, I think she's yeah. just great. I don't think she should get nominated for everything ever all at once. Her character just doesn't come close to the emotional arc and and key contribution to the story that Stephanie Hsu's character does. Yeah, I I love that people are talking about Jamie Lee Curtis because I do think she should she sh- I think she should have been nominated for at least one Oscar. At this point, she's never been nominated, but I I don't know how you, if you nominate one over the other, I saw a bunch of people that were like, it has to be Jamie Lee Curtis. I was like, right. she's great, but like the story of that movie is the mother and daughter. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, sorry. I also, I, we have seen the best picture and I think it's Marcel the Shell. I still think that's the movie that, that I, I was, that movie. I think Marcel so the Shell is so delightful and perfect. And um, that's another one that I'd put at my top of my list. The last thing I'll say about this is in terms of where the best picture goes. If we go back to, and I know this is probably going against the movie that you can sit anybody down in front of, because I'm not sure you can sit anybody down in front of everything everywhere all at once. But if you look at the film that could win SAG Ensemble that will get people to their feet, you know, if the Fablemans win SAG Ensemble, you know, People are going to applaud. Nobody's going to give them a standing ovation because it's, you know, a bunch of white people that, you know, everybody likes. And it's a movie that at least, you know, mostly everybody likes. But with everything everywhere all at once, I mean, you know, it's it's the decades of work Michelle Yeoh has had. You know, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, the decades of work she's had. It's Mm -hmm. the Kwan coming back from being short round to then being, you know, this character in this film. You know, there's just so many long-standing, celebrated narratives that you can come to and say they're going to win SAG. Everybody's going to jump up, and at that point, 
it's it could be a tidal wave that takes it to best picture. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give full credit. Jalal has been talking about this for six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not my idea. He was and he has brought me around to it, and I think he could be very very right. Mm. I wanted to give him credit. I don't want to take his idea. <laughs> <laughs> Because he listens to this podcast and he will definitely text me and say, you beef skank. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Anyway, um, what else? What else have we not talked about? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, We talked a little bit about Babylon. I mean, Megan, you said it was exactly what you thought it would be. Um, Reception-wise, I have not seen it. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I can't wait to see it, honestly. The, The divisiveness... Like, yes, ex- totally. And, and aside from, we really have to learn to appreciate movies outside of the Oscar conversation, which I think we three mostly do. Um, that's not the first thing that I think of when I, when I see a film, but uh, maybe the mm-hmm. second or third. But you know, aside from that, I just it just sounds like a movie that I would absolutely love. I just some of the reactions to it from people that I follow on Twitter have just been hilarious, and I, I honestly I can't wait to see it. But I don't think it's gonna. I'm not even sure it gets in for best picture. I don't know. It depends. If the crafts fall in line, then maybe it. Does. I think the three hours hurts it. Are they, all the movies are so damn long. This year, Black Panther yeah. is at least twenty minutes yeah. too long. <laughs> um, um, I mean, everything everywhere is like two fifteen. Um, Wakanda Forever is like two forty. Elvis is, Elvis was almost three. Tars yeah. is two and a f- two and three quarters. Um, Avatar. There was a one three. point when <laughs> when Jason and I went to go see Tar. I thought the movie was like two ten, and it, I told him that that's how long the movie was. And at like the two and a half hour mark, like leaned over, and it happened to be at a very quiet moment in the movie, and he just leaned over and goes, "This is long." <laughs> like, he liked it, but he was like, this is long. This is longer than I thought. And I'm like, yep, me too. <laughs> so. uh, all right. Um, so next week's Thanksgiving, um, once we hit the critics window, or the, the, the critics grades start coming, the, the awards start rolling in, um, you know, obviously we'll be shifting our predictions on, uh, on um, the Oscar squad. I know at least... Megan, you've got some changes to make based on seeing Banshees of Inner Sharon. Because <laughs> um, I don't think you have it in for screenplay. Oh, really? Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I no, don't apologize. That. I mean, you hadn't seen it yet so um, when you voted. So uh, anyway, we, we, we're going to be making some changes. We're going to be talking about this for a long time. But I thought it was just a fun time for us to, you know, to use Banshees of Inner Sharon to talk about the Oscar race um, on a larger scale. So let's jump to the flash forward to the media we're most anticipating in the upcoming week. Uh, Joey. Uh, TV wise, I'm really excited for uh, the Sex Lives of College Girls to come back. I loved that show so, so much. I did a rewatch of it. I think it's only eight episodes. It might be 10, but the episodes are not very long. I remember rewatching the whole season in a day. Um, I just think it's really fun. I hope the second season is just as good. And then I'm still watching a ton of shorts. There was at one point where I posted a bunch of stuff over a course of like three days. And I thought someone was going to email me and tell me to stop. 
um, because I was posting like exclusive and reviews and interviews and all this stuff. So I'm sorry. Um, and then oh, I'm not sorry. Um, I've seen she said on Thursday. Um, but probably the thing I'm most excited about this week is I have never seen the musical Assassins on stage. Oh, I, I have. Oh, I love. I saw that. it with Neil Patrick Harris. Fuck you, you bitch. <laughs> I love that show. I think it's um I think it's one of Sondheim's best show. I'm I'm surprised that it's not a show with the political divisiveness that has not been. I mean, I understand why it's not done. Um, but and it's also a show that never makes money. So um that's probably another reason why other people do it. So a friend of mine is a producer on a production of it. So I'm seeing that on Saturday and I'm really excited. So it's like a, a Sondheim show that I can cross off my list. Excellent. Uh, Megan. Um, I need to watch uh, Fleischman is in <gasps> trouble. Yeah. I'd really like to watch that. I've been meaning to do that. I just haven't had a chance to yet. I'm still reading my Ted Bundy book. Um, slowly getting through that, which has been entertaining as entertaining as it can be um it's it's fascinating um and also tr- terribly tragic um but it makes me rethink of watching the zach efron film that came out a few years ago um let's see what else is coming out i still need to see tar i haven't seen tar yet. um but i also am interested in Thought the wonder the Wonder with the by Sebastian Lolo, mm-hmm. um, who directed Gloria Bell, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's mainly the reason. I mean, also Florence Pugh is in it, which I would, I really enjoy her. But I um, mostly would just, just I'm just trusting Sebastian um, Lolo because of Gloria Bell, one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and that's probably about it. Uh, I have seen The Wonder. I saw that at Telluride. It is. Uh, it was also on my list this week of, of a recommendation of things that somebody should, people should catch up to because it's a nice, quiet little movie. It's not something that's going to get a lot of attention, but I think uh, Florence Pugh is very good, and it. it's a very understated um, but effective story. So that that comes out on Netflix on tomorrow, I think. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, I'm very intrigued by the trailer. Something that I don't remember, I don't know, Joe, if you've seen this, but I know Megan and I have. Um, something that comes out, it's not necessarily something I'm looking forward to, but um, I had a good time watching it, even though I don't think it's very good. It's The Menu, um, which is, uh, it opens in theaters this weekend. It's a mess of a movie, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. There are, port, there are parts of it that I like better than others. Um, and I don't, it, again, I don't think it's very successful. I think, Megan, you're um, of the same mind. I think maybe you're a little bit tougher on it than I am. Um, but uh, Yeah, I, I didn't love the menu. I, I just, I didn't get it. I felt kind of stupid watching it. I felt like, I'm sure there are people out there who have pulled something deeper out of it, but I just couldn't. I don't know. I just could. I didn't get it. I don't think you're stupid. I think it's just there's not there there. I think it's talking, you know, about food culture and and the privilege of the uh-huh. the upper class. But I mean, those aren't incredibly deep topics. I, I think it's uh, it's 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 a fine. I was never bored. Um, I laughed a lot in it, but it's, I didn't realize you saw it. Yeah, I saw it last week. Um, it's just fine. Um, 
there was another movie I was going to see, uh, but it's now escaped me. Um, on TV, Dead to Me comes back, season three, uh, the, the third season. Um, actually, the series finale. Um, that's on Thursday. Uh, great British baking show, Holidays Edition, comes out on Netflix on Friday. Yes. So looking forward to that because it's time to watch trashy holiday TV shows. Although I have not brought myself to watch the Lindsay Lohan Netflix um, movie, whatever it is. I can't remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I can't remember it either. They all sound, all the titles sound the same. They do. Somebody took a screenshot of all of the, this is not a Hallmark thing, but all of the Hallmark TV movies. And it was all like, the girl's always wearing red. The guy's always wearing a green jacket. And it was like, 16 different titles with the exact same wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. It's falling for Christmas. Yeah. Um, I did by chance happen to listen to her single uh, Jingle Bell Rock, which was atrocious. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad to see her back in some shape or f- form. I'm, I'm glad to see that she's pulled herself together and, and I'd love to see her in more serious things. Cause I always thought she was a good actress. Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, Bookwise, I'm still reading Stephen King's fairy tale, and uh, I just picked up. Um, I didn't realize that Celeste Ng, the author of uh, Little Fires Everywhere, um, has a new book, and uh, I just picked that up and started reading it. It's quite good. No matter what you think mm-hmm. about the the limited series Little Fires Everywhere, the book is much much better. The book is very um, is very well written. She's an excellent writer. So I it's called Our Missing Hearts. Hmm. Um, all right. There's something in the back of my mind that's like nagging at me that I was going to mention, but it is in the ether. So, oh well. <laughs> so does that cover it? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's get the hell out of here. So we are the three M's contributors, Joey Moser, Megan McLaughlin, and me, Clarence Moy. Thanking you for joining us, asking you to remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel at Awards Daily and wishing you a very pleasant day tomorrow.